Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I am your co-host, Joe Wilkie, here with Jack and Will yet again. Uh, and fellas, before we get into what I think is going to be a uh, great episode, something I'm excited about, uh, how was the weekend? What did you guys do over the weekend? Uh, whole family got sick. Uh, finally, two years in, got COVID. I think you Oof. guys have both had your bouts, right? A couple of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah last year. Yeah. Uh, I, I dodged it all this time, uh, but... Yeah, a lot of sleeping. Uh, I didn't preach. Uh, had a Sunday, off, a rare Sunday off, but not uh, not exactly for vacation purposes. But not uh, a great weekend. It yeah. No, like. <laughs> no, not not my favorite weekend ever. But we survived. Will, how about well, you? I, well, I had a better weekend than Jack. It sounds like um, <laughs> we had three of our seniors, or actually four of our seniors, um, at Decatur last night. We had their graduation uh, big ceremony uh, after worship, and really, really cool night. Real special. Nice. You know, with the slideshows and the pictures and the music, you know, there were tears shed uh, for sure. But uh, that was that was exciting. Also shot my lowest round of golf I've ever shot over the weekend. Um, so that was Your that was rather was exciting. I, I, <laughs> it was it was. I'm not going to reveal what the score was. Just You have uh, to. The listeners got to know. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe when I can break 90, then I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give the score. It was a good weekend. Was a good weekend. Now, How about you, Joe? Joe? You had a baby false alarm, didn't you? Yeah, I did indeed. Um, which made for fun, actually. Well, I, we were gonna drop uh, the brothers, the my two sons, off at uh, your family's house. Got to see your brother play flag football, his last flag po- football game of the season. Nice. Um, so we were just kind of chilling. Like, man, we thought we were gonna have to run in, and then it was kind of we were put on hold for a second, and and the contractions were coming steadily. Then they weren't, and then they were coming steadily. And so we're like, well, we'll go chill at your house, and when you guys get back after the game. So we went to the game, and then left early, and. Um, we were waiting and then they just stopped and we drove home and it was late, probably pushing 11 PM. Um, and so we, we thought that was it. I was calling off clients, everything else that's kind of frustrating, but at the same time, it's how it goes. Um, otherwise my dad came in and we've had a real good weekend and, and ate some good food. And, um, so it's been good to see him, uh, missing the fact that my mom's not here, but, uh, yeah, next time. So anyway, with that though, uh, let's get into the episode. Will take us away. So the topic for today's episode is one that is much needed. It is one that is really becoming, I say becoming, it's been a challenge for Christians for, uh, you know, decades upon uh, decades, uh, and it's the topic of internet pornography. And uh, again, this is a very needed topic. This is something that obviously the world has become saturated in, but this is something that's leaked into the church, and it's something that a lot of congregations, to put it quite frankly, are not addressing. You know, we're not addressing how do we deal with with internet pornography addiction among Christians. We're not addressing how do we combat it. Uh, to, to me, personally at least, it seems like a lot of the responses that we get from congregations and ministers and just the way that the church has been handling it is let's just pretend like it doesn't exist. You know, maybe we'll, we'll casually mention it every now and then, but, you know, that's a touchy topic. That's a sensitive topic. So let's stay as far away from that as we possibly can. And, you know, we don't think that's that that's wise and that that's healthy. And so that's something that we want to address with today's episode is several things. We're going to look at just some, some co- common questions that people have regarding Internet pornography uh, for the average man, you might say. Obviously, we're going to tackle it from an individual perspective, going to tackle it from a parental perspective. But, you know, before we really get into that, and it, we need to 
you know, state very clearly that this is an issue that can affect everybody. This is not something that's isolated to teenagers. This is not something that's isolated to just males. Obviously, statistically, males struggle with it more. Uh, but this is something that, you know, it stretches across all ages. Again, this is not just teenagers that are that are dealing with this. And so I'm going to kick it to Joe as we get started as far as, Joe, how bad is it uh, when you talk about pornography? Because again, to, to hear some congregation's response to it or lack of response to it, I should say, there might be quite a few people out there that don't think it's really that big of a deal, that don't think that it's as widespread uh, as it is, that, that that people don't struggle with it near as much as, as we might say that they do. So why don't you kind of give us kind of a rundown on just how bad it's gotten, that is, you know, the pornography industry and pornography addiction, especially among the world and within the church. Yeah, uh, I think the answer is real bad. <laughs> it's it's real bad. Uh, i got a few stats here uh, just for our listeners. Around 12% of web, all web pages are pornographic. The average age of first exposure is now 11 years old. Um, I know kids that have been exposed as early as six years old, kids that claim to be addicted or are regularly viewing it by seven and eight years old. Um, and as far as the age, you mentioned the age, Will, I have clients into their 70s that are sex addicts uh, that, that struggle with porn, porn addiction. So with that being the case, yeah, it's pretty bad. As many as 93.2% of boys and 62.1% of girls will view porn before 18. Uh, to me, I think 93% is low. I don't know of any kid that has not seen or come across porn in some way before um before 18 and you know one of the issues i guess that you get into is you have to define what porn is is that hardcore pornography is that softcore pornography and i take pornography to be any sexually arousing image well if you take that then everybody has it you watch a trailer uh for a a, a movie or you're driving down the road and you look at a billboard and that technically is what we might consider softcore pornography because it is a sexually arousing image so when you take it that way, I think it's it's really bad. But for the porn industry, I think the annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It also uh, has more combined revenue than ABC, CBS, and NBC. You're in you're talking in the billions. And why? Well, because twenty. And that's for something that's requests. free. You know, it can be found Correct. free everywhere, and yet it's still bringing in that much money. Twenty-five percent of search engine requests are related to sex. One in four. So yeah, there's. There's a ton of money associated with this in terms of ad revenue, um, and it, Jack, you just said it. Like it's free, and yet they're still bringing in this much because of all the paid content, uh, the subscription base. They've gone to subscription, from what I understand, as much as anything else. OnlyFans, things like that. That's bringing in millions and millions. So the problem is really bad. And just a few more stats for um, on on the personal level. Around one in three Americans seek it out at least once a month. Uh, that's a hundred million people. Over a hundred million people. Uh, 51% of all Americans seek out porn at least occasionally, over half. And 11% of American males view porn every single day. Uh, 11% over 1 in 10. And this is the one that really catches people's eyes. 33% of women watch pornography videos or view explicit photos at least one time per week. 33% of women. So you go, well, this is a male issue. No, not really. Uh, what we're seeing is that number is very much on the rise, and 1 in 3 are viewing it regularly. And that's and to not even get into the, the literary stuff, Fifty Shades of Grey kind of stuff as well. That's oh, yeah. not even really tracked by those kinds of things. That's just that's the visual, and that's the interesting thing is women are not really wired visually. God wired men to be visual, but this is the way that the culture is moving. Is it's sexualizing kids and sexualizing women, uh, girls at, at a much younger age, and making this um, 
It's making it obviously very accessible and more exciting to them, and there's multiple things. And well, we're going to get into that as to what, why that is the case in, and obviously how we can get out of it and such, but also attaching that to some to shame. Well, and Jack, I'm not sure if you were going to get into this or not, but that's something I was going to bring up is just how much more accessible it's become. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, before all of us had you know smartphones and basically many computers in our pocket, it was a, a lot more difficult to, to access. You know, you, you hear about the, the brown paper bag type of thing, you know, go into the sleazy bookstore, come out with a brown paper bag. A lot of people probably still have that image of, you know, well, that's that's the pornography, the Playboy magazines, that type of thing. It's become so much more accessible, again, for 10-year-olds, for 11-year-olds, for 12-year-olds who, unfortunately, are having, you know, they've got a computer in their pocket 24-7. They've got privacy with it. It's a lot of the stuff that we discussed uh, with previous episodes about, you know, the internet and keeping keeping ourselves safe and keeping kids safe on the internet. But I, I think, Joe, your stats that, that might sound alarming for people as far as just how many truly seek it out, how many are truly looking at it, a symptom of that is simply because it literally is so accessible for every hour of the day with, with your with your smartphone, with your computer, with the privacy that we've got. And so that that's an issue, and that's something that, you know, again, we wanted to address with this episode because it, it's gotten so much uh, worse over the last, you know, five, ten years, especially for young people. We're going to get into this later in the episode of some myths. Uh, one of the things, though, that drives me nuts is when you have some older members of the congregation, elders and such, well, those perverts just need to stop. I literally, no you're idea. not exaggerating. I literally heard that at a preacher's meeting, um, uh, that somebody was addressing this, uh, speaking on this subject of, of how we can address it in our churches, and that was what he said. You just need to tell those perverts to stop watching that stuff. Like, and st- Statistically, and 50%. Or sixty-six yeah. percent of men in that room are struggling with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just even among ministers, there were people there that I mean, just as you said, statistically, it's a guarantee. And now imagine that you get up and preach a sermon like that. You just stop looking at it, perverts. Perverts. That guy's never confessing sin to anybody because that's Not what he's going to be labeled as. And when you consider that these are the people that grew up and Playboy was the worst thing they had to combat, they don't know the world of AOL. They don't know tube sites. They don't know social media and how much that pushes pornography they don't know the millions of web pages that are are you know that, that get kids at a young age where they slightly change the url from something that is uh, i think it's safe to say here because i think they changed this but whitehouse.com was a porn site for a long time how many kids researching a paper you know trying to figure out something about the president and white house would go there and get hooked on porn they don't understand the risks that are out there and so when they tell people that well you just need to stop uh, they don't. They also don't understand the addictive nature to this, but how easily accessible this is for kids and everybody right. else. Let me um, ask this question because this is one that a, a lot of you know. Again, we're going to address this from an individual perspective too. Um, so don't don't hear this question and think, well, they're just kind of talking to parents here. No, this is for everybody. Um, but this is a question that a lot of people have when it comes to the strategy for you know keeping your kids. You know, I guess you could say safe from pornography. Uh, there, there's kind of two sides to it as far as one strategy is you do everything in your power to keep them from it. You know, just just make up your mind. I'm going to keep them from viewing pornography. It's just not going to happen. And then there's the the other side of the camp that, that kind of says, look, with as accessible as it is today with how many, you know, opportunities that they have to see it, it's going to be nearly impossible, if not 100% impossible, to keep them from viewing it. So rather than making our strategy, how do we keep them from it, we need to more so 
tailor the strategy to we need to teach them how to handle it. And again, I, I want to kick it to you two as far as you know which side of the camp you fall more on. I think we'd all agree it's probably a little bit of both. It's not like you want to just stick pornography in front of them and say, okay, now this is how you handle it. But at the same time, we just talked about how accessible it is and how easy it is for kids to find it and get into it as, as early as 10, 11 years old. And so Guys, again, I'll kick it to you. As far as for for parents, uh, what's the strategy here? Do you, do we take more of the let's do everything we can to keep them from it approach, or more of the okay, we know they're going to come across it at some point. Let's teach them this is how you handle it. This is the this is what you do whenever you do stumble across it. What's the strategy here? I think not just for parents as well, because this is something that you know uh, Joe and I are pretty open about. We both had this struggle. Uh, this is something growing up just hit us like a train because we weren't prepared for it. That when when you're you've got that brain, even as somebody who doesn't want to do it, you're going to set up all those walls for yourself to keep yourself from it. But if that desire is strong enough, you're still going to find it. Or as Joe was talking about a bit ago, even just accidentally stumbling across it. You know, you can set up all kinds of safeguards and still end up in the wrong place. And so as as individuals, you can look at it that way. But as parents, the same thing of set up as many you know walls as possible to keep your kids safe from these things, but also realize there, there's not enough walls. You cannot perfectly seal your house of all the cracks to be airtight um, because it is unavoidable in this day and age. I, I'm fairly certain to say that somebody can make it, you know, 18 years, however long your kid is in your house without somehow coming across it. I mean, obviously, if, if you don't have any screens, anything like that whatsoever, but it's a really hard thing to do. But it's on the other hand, it's kind of, you know, your kids maybe are going to get tempted with drugs. You know, we, we, I think all three of us have been around, you know, friends through sports or whatever else who just drugs that, you know, they got old enough and that's what they went to. It made perfect sense for our parents to take steps to make sure, you know, that that was not something we were going to get into, but also when we're around people who are that will know the right thing to do. It's a barrier head in the sand kind of thing to think we'll just I'll shelter them perfectly forever. And so you, you prepare them for that moment and set them up with what to do and, and what how to navigate it when they do, but you also at least do your best to keep that distance there to the best of your ability as well. I think, Joe, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, I would mirror both of you and specifically what Will said in terms of do you keep them from it or do you teach them how to handle it? And the answer is very much both. Uh, you have to understand the addictive nature of this because there's a lot of people, and you'll see this on, you know, uh, Reddit has certain threads and such dedicated to this, and of guys getting out of pornography, and there's a strong case to be made for no software blockers, no accountability, things like that, that it really is, if you want to get out of it, then you need to have the self-control to get out of it, and that's the only way you'll know, because otherwise, as soon as these blockers are removed, you'll go right back to it, and granted, there's a little bit to that, that I understand, that this it's should kind be of the, the you... philosophical, philosophical differences between teach a kid to swim, give them floaties, you know, teach them these things, or throw them in the deep end and let them figure it out, you know, kind of, right. there's some danger to that, you know, it, it might not be the best strategy, but a lot of people learn to swim that way, so maybe, you know, there there's something to it at some level. Yeah, I think there's something to it, I would not agree with it though, and to my, here's, here's how I would back that, or why I would say that. This is highly addictive, and it really, once you get into the addict addiction, it's not about self-control it's more about it, it would basically be like putting an alcoholic in a you know in a bar at a bar or in um, a liquor store and saying well self-control just stay away from it 
He said, you'd never do that because you want to stay from it as far as possible because this is an addiction and when the cravings hit and when, um, you know, and, and specifically I take it be trauma and such and I won't get into all that st- stuff. But when a trauma capsule is triggered, then they run toward porn and it really has nothing to do with self-control because the brain, the, the part of your brain, the pathway that says, hey, let's stop and think about it actually shrinks during porn addiction. They have proven this. So I don't think it's real smart to just throw them to the deep end. So in that way, I would say keep yourself from it as much as possible. Put those accountability. We'll get. Like, we keep saying we're going to get in all this stuff. Truly, it's. I think it'll be a good episode. We got a lot of stuff to, to cover. But um, put that accountability software on the computer. But also, specifically to the parents, you need to be the expert in your kid's life when they run across it. Not if, but when they run across it, they need to be coming to you saying, hey, I ran across this on the internet. This is how I got it. You shut that down. Don't freak out because that tells the kid, this is really bad. Don't tell my parents again. Say, thank you for telling me. Appreciate the fact that right. they came to you and handle it that way. So I think that's one of the best things parents can do. Well, that's what I was going to say is keep the communication channels open, right. right? You know, we talk about the accountability partners and things that help the individuals. And part of what helps the individual when it comes, you know, as far as the accountability stuff goes is because you are communicating about it. You're being open about it. It's not something that you're just bearing you know, and or burying and, and trying to just, you know, keep it, keep everything under wraps and don't let anybody know about it. If your kid is, is doesn't have the confidence that, that he can, that he or she can, can come to you and talk to you about these things. Hey, you know, I searched whitehouse.com and I stumbled across this, you know, if they don't have the, the courage to be able to come to you and tell you that, then they're probably going to be engaging in behaviors without you knowing that, you know, you don't want them to because you don't have those communication channels open. And it's embarrassing for kids. I mean, nobody is necessarily going to want to come and tell their parents, but you have to, to, to some extent, as far as that second half of the, the puzzle goes, teaching them how to handle it, I, I think you do have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, you're, especially once they start, you start giving them privileges and, you know, when the, when they get older and especially when they go off to college, if you've kept them from it that long, it is going to be kind of like an avalanche that's going to hit them, when, you know, when they leave the house as far as all the things that are available. And so again, I'm not saying you need to stick it in front of them or anything like that, but you need to be having the conversations. You need to be talking to them about it and not just trying to, you know, put them in a bubble or, you know, and say, you know, you're not going to know what this is. You're never, we have a, a camp that we go to or that I'm a counselor for a little mountain ministry camp. And uh, we, it's for, it's just for guys. It's for guys that are from age 10 up to, you know, a hundred it's for adults, kids as well. But um, I vividly remember we, we talk about pornography addiction at this camp, you know, and, and there's 10 year olds there, there's 11 year olds there. And, uh, we've had parents that I guess didn't know that we talked about that in classes or what. And they were, you know, upset and, and said, you know, my, my kid doesn't know what that is. You know, they're not familiar with that. They're not going to know. And we had to tell those parents literally every single one of them, when we brought this up, they knew what it was, you know, they, they were very aware of it. They knew that they had, not necessarily that they had seen it, but that they knew what it was and that they were very aware of it. And so I think that's part of the problem as well. Um, we just don't have a, an accurate grasp of just how much kids are exposed to it now. Um, and so I think that's a, a big issue as well. And let me say this real fast. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, dads that are struggling with this that I think don't want to talk to their kids about it or that it's because then they'd have to address it themselves. Correct. Correct. You know, you put all that software on the computer, things like that. They may have it for themselves, but I think it keeps them from really wanting to bond with their kid over this because they'd have to admit I struggle with pornography to their 13 year old. Well, nobody really wants to have to admit that to their 13 year old. So I let's just kind of 
we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. I'll check in with you from time to time. We'll read a book together, Every Young Man's Battle, and see how that goes. Um, most of the time, that doesn't that doesn't fix the issue. Doesn't help. Every Young Man's Battle is great for bouncing your eyes for for some behavioral things. That's not all there is to it. Um, but if you're a dad out there who is struggling with it, the best thing you can do for your family is get yourself some help. Get out of this addiction. Um, go seek some counseling. Go get some strong accountability partners. Get in some groups, some SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, um, Sex Addicts Anonymous, SAA, Samson, uh, Samson Group, um, or Samson Society, rather. Uh, there are things like that that you can really get into, plug into. Um, help your family by helping yourself. And don't bury your head in the sand, please, with teaching your kids how to handle it. But I want to move on here uh, to the next no, one. No, hold on, hold on. We wanted to also... Um make note that there, there's a lot more to this and, and we want to get more practical we don't have time right now to get into the practical of keep them safe and you know prepare them uh there's there's practical things to do about that about what to put on your computer what to look out for what behaviors what you know what conversations to have preemptively what conversations to have after you know maybe somebody stumbles across it how to be that support for somebody else and so that's going to be our thing fast for this week uh check our youtube channel focus press um you know, when we don't have time for discussions on here, when there's things that come up that we need to discuss beyond the podcast, that's where we're going to put them. And so um, I think we, we want to make it something that's really good for parents, but also for individuals struggling as well. And so keep an eye uh, out for that on YouTube, because we do need to get a lot more practical and hands on on this. When we just don't have time right here on the podcast. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um yeah, check us out on YouTube for sure, and we'll try to handle that. And if you got some questions as well surrounding this, please let us know. There's a lot of questions here. This doesn't even begin to touch the tip of the iceberg here uh, as to how much we can get into. But one of the things, and Will, I'm going to kick this to you. One of the things that we hear a lot is the scare tactic approach, let's call it, which is, you know, if you look at pornography, then you know who else looked at pornography? Ted Bundy. Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> right. And so we really try to scare people out of porn addiction by, by pointing to the worst of society, to the rapists, to the people like that, and say, you know, they started with pornography as well, and that might be you. Or the, the, the child predators, right? Well, they got into pornography. Yes, technically, but correlation doesn't equal causation, I would say, in this case. But, Will, I want to kick that to you. What, what do you say to those who point to Ted Bundy and say, well, my kid or my husband or this person is going to be like that if they view porn? Well— is it not similar to, you know, sometimes the, the preaching tactics of, well, we just need to, you know, throw hell at them as far as describing the, the horrors of hell and, and, you know, really scare them out of that so that they'll become Christians, you know, and there's, I don't want to say there's no value in that, but if somebody's becoming a Christian just because they want to stay away from hell and, you know, there's no other reason to it, that's not a great reason, right? We need to understand the gospel as more of, well... I'm not going to go to hell, so I guess I'll, you know what I mean? The scare tactics there sometimes are not the best tactics uh, as far as preaching the gospel there. When it comes to this this one, the, the scare tactic of, well, you're going to turn out like Ted Bundy or you're going to turn out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Again, just the common sense of looking at the statistics and saying there are millions, if not you know hundreds of millions of porn addicts and how many Ted Bundys were there, you know how many serial killers are out there. You know, it to me, it, it's such a a poor tactic when you're when you're jumping to the absolute worst extreme on any anything any issue here but especially with this one when you know Joe you you've had more experience as far as a therapist in here I think you would probably agree the scare tactics don't work right the jumping to the extreme as far as you know you're going to turn out like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer it doesn't work you know it, we we might think that we're doing um, kids a favor when we're you know jumping to that extreme and trying to scare them with it but it doesn't work again you just look at the statistics you know you got a congregation of 250 members 
what is it, 180 of them, statistically 150 of them are statistically struggling with it if the statistics are accurate. And so, you know, there aren't millions of serial killers out there. There aren't, you know, hundreds of millions of Ted Bundys out there. And so any kid with common sense is going to look at that and, and say, basically, well, you're just trying to scare me. That's that's not true. That's not actually going to happen. Jack, what do you have to, to add on to that? Well, the other thing is, if somebody's been fighting this battle for 10 years, right, and they get told, well, that was the path for, for Ted Bundy, serial killers or criminals or, or whatever, you know, scare tactic you want to throw at somebody, and they can go, okay, well, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I've never been drawn to hit somebody, kill somebody, run over somebody, eat somebody. I mean, like all these horrible things that, that you can give them and say, man, these, this is what could happen, and go, well, it hasn't happened to me, so it must not be that bad. You can kind of downplay it. Well, I'm not, I'm not Ted Bundy, you know, and so, uh, you know, maybe I've got a milder case of it. And, and that kind of keeps you from addressing it for as bad as it really is, right? And, and so when you, like, make it this extreme of this is the path to being a serial killer, well, no, it's not. As you said, statistically, it's not for 99.9999%. And so then when somebody hears that as an addict themselves, they go, okay, well, I'm not that one. I'm not the real bad one, and, and so this isn't such a big deal, and, and maybe makes them put it off. Maybe makes them not address it because, yeah, well, I'm not Ted Bundy. And relating it to the Ted Bundys of the world, what does that tell your the 13-year-old sitting in the audience? Yeah, I'm going to come forward with my porn struggle because you're going to think I'm Ted Bundy. You're going to freak out and tell me that I'm going to start killing people. So, no, I don't think I'll come forward with this. So, it, does it work? It works, or it serves to keep people quiet. That's how it works. That's It, it is... A terrible tactic that keeps people in shame, it keeps them in the shadows, keeps them in the dark, because they don't want to come out and be equated with Jeffrey Dahmer. They don't want to come out and be equated with Ted Bundy. Nobody would want that. If you'd said, you know, you know who else gossips? Hitler. Hitler gossip too. And, uh, you know, yeah, then you think people would be coming forward with gossiping? Because you'd go, oh, I don't want to be Hitler. There's a little bit more to it, okay? The guy is clearly not right in the head. Um, they can point to Ted Bundy. They're... they're Psychopaths, they're sociopaths, they're 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 messed up individuals. In again, well, your point to your point, there are millions and millions and millions of porn addicts around the world right now that have never dreamed of raping somebody. Okay, uh, please stop using this as a scare tactic to get people out. It simply does not work. Um, I've had clients again, as I've referenced, in their seventies who for fifty plus years have been porn addicts and they have looked at porn and they have masturbated and it has stayed to that. Uh, that can't happen. So please stop telling people that if you do it, if you stay in it long enough, you will naturally turn into a serial killer. Jack, unless you have anything else to add to that, um, I'm going to go ahead and jump to the next uh, question, I guess, topic that we have. And it's one, uh, hopefully you heard the what we started with at the beginning um, when, when you're talking about um, this is a sensitive topic. This is something that, you know, maybe the youngest of ears don't really need to hear. And so we're about to get into one of those. So again, if you didn't hear that, uh, just, you know, go ahead and, and plan on, you know, covering the kids' ears or whatever. But we want to address the, uh, just some of these terms that are associated with pornography and, and masturbation is one of them. And um, the, the question, I guess, is we're trying to put these in forms of questions that maybe that the average day or average man has. Uh, I'll kick it to these guys when it comes to how do we talk to our kids? How do we answer? How do we navigate this this concept of masturbation? Um, maybe masturbation without porn, masturbation that leads to porn. Um, guys, again, th this is one that talk about a taboo word. Talk about a taboo subject. It's one that doesn't really get addressed. It's one that there's probably a lot of Christians, a lot of you know, again, just average Christians out there that are wondering. 
you know, what's the teaching tactic here? What, what is the parenting tactic here? If, if you're an individual, if you're somebody who, who is struggling with this, again, with or without porn, what are the answers here? So Jack, uh, not to put you on the spot with maybe one of the toughest questions that we've got, but what do you have to, to say to the, this, for uh, this topic? We actually received a question on this after our uh, masculinity episode when we talked about kind of the, the sexaholic, the, the sexualized version of, of men uh, that culture puts forward. And it just kind of brings that realization of, man, we don't talk about this, but it is something that is a question. It's something that is a, a factor in life, especially with pornography being so widespread and, and this issue that we're talking about. And so, yeah, we got to talk about it. And... Um, Number one, you know, obviously what Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, um, you know, then, then you're committing adultery in your heart. So that is a really big factor. But, you know, somebody can say, well, I, I can do it without without lusting. Like, well, you, I think, Joe, you're, the question you ask is, can you do it when you're uh, thinking about the, the paint on the wall? You know, like, uh, no, there there's almost always a sexual element to this. And not only that, but there's principles you can take out of this. You know, biblically, sex is between a married man and a married woman married to each other. That's the only bounds uh, for it. And so you've got, you know, these um, Bible verses that, that give lists of sins, of sensuality, licentiousness, things like this. Um, I think that it kind of can fall under that broader category. But the other side of it is how bad masturbation is for you as a person you know you, you hear a lot of talk about dopamine right and i'll let joe get into this more because you know this is kind of your your wheelhouse your expertise but it's in the same way with like video games of it gives you this sense of conquest when you didn't actually do anything it gives you a, a sense of sexual satisfaction when you didn't actually do anything and so it leads to depression like it leads down this road and so because we've got a porn addicted society a masturbation addicted society all the the bad things that uh we we get ourselves into as a society and then the depression sets in it's another side effect of this of constant dopamine hits that are totally unearned and and so you know your subconscious knows that's not real but you know you're still going for it because it feels good and you get that dopamine hit and it just messes you up your whole wiring goes up and as as a as a human being it takes away your incentive to go and actually do things in the real world it takes what is intended to be between two people the most intimate thing between two people, their sexuality, and it individualizes it. So no wonder why it leads to depression. Because masturbation is lonely. Uh, it is, it is again, taking what God created for two people and making it one. And the thing that I struggle with, so first off, I agree very much with you, Jack. I don't think it's right. If you can masturbate without, um, I get more power to you, I guess. I, I can't think of anybody who actually can. Um, anybody that I talk to, that's the case. Now, there are such things as wet dreams that I think it's your body's natural release that uh, if, if it's building up or whatever, and, and a lot of teenage boys can get that. Um, but it is a cheap form of what God intended to be between a married woman. And the interesting thing is when you study this, you realize for those that are porn addicts and for those that, that even just masturbate, you can do it multiple times a day. And again, this is, this is a sensitive subject, but we're, we're here, so might as well discuss it. You can do it multiple times a day. Now for the married couples, most married couples do not have sex multiple times a day because the sex is very fulfilling. It is it is on a completely different level. And you say, well, it's all sexuality. It's all the same. No, it's not. Pornog or, you know, Specifically when it's attached to pornography, as you mentioned, Jack, the dopamine hit, the spike that you get, it's super normal stimuli. So pornography is, 
It really hijacks the brain, and no woman can live up, no real woman can live up to what porn provides through its novelty and through its ability to always come back for more um, and something different and something escalated. Uh, that doesn't happen with a real woman. But even for those that just masturbate, fantasies, sexualized, sexual fantasies, um, is they're very dangerous because they also put women in compromising positions. It's also less to the heart. There's all sorts of things that go into that. That yes, teenage boys may very much struggle with it. They may very much want to do it. In my opinion, I think it is. I think sex is, as I've, I'm sure I've mentioned on here before, the pinnacle of intimacy. And I think masturbation. Those who are in a lot of strong relationships, and I'm talking, you know, male relationships of of being one of the guys and, and having accountability partners and having people that care about them, and really when their emotions are taken care of, they don't want to masturbate as much and that sounds really ridiculous but I'm, I'm telling you in my experience and from the work that I do with guys that bears out that when you really connect to those around you your sexual drive goes down well that tracks with what happens in marriage when you connect with your wife your sexual drive actually goes down you don't need sex three four five times a day the same way you needed to masturbate three four five times a day the emotional reasons are really what takes care of it so or the emotional needs uh, so that's what I'd say about the the masturbation discussion is no, I don't think it's right. Um, I think it's very emotion-driven, and if you can fix that, and if you can help your teenage boy, because it's it's not a teenage problem, but that's mainly where it comes from, is, well, what about the teenagers raging hormones? I still think a lot of it has to do emotionally. People may disagree, and that's okay, but Jack, you had another thought. C.S. Lewis had a really good uh, piece on this, uh, and what he talked about is... Uh, that you can kind of, as you said, the fantasies, you can have these, these men, this mental harem, right? And they don't require anything of you. They never get on your nerves. They're always there for you, as you said, all of these things. And so, number one, it's telling you you don't need your wife, or if you're single, that you don't need a wife uh, because you can just handle this on your own. And and so you've got this this thing set aside, and you never have to work for it, and you never have to compromise with somebody else and, and do the kinds of things as, as a husband and a wife, as a man and a woman, of working towards that goal together because, ah, I've just got it by, you know, got it on my own, and uh, he finishes his section, and you can Google it, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's pretty short, but he has some really good things to say in it, but he says, after all, almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves, out of the little dark prison we are all born in. Masturbation is to be avoided as all things are to be avoided, be, are to be avoided which retard this process. The danger is that of coming to love the prison. And man, the idea of loving the prison that you're in how boy does that describe the day that we live in of of getting locked into this and you think man this is great you know i got porn out this this makes me happy and it's ruining you but boy you really love it you you really enjoy it it feels good that dopamine hit keeps coming and so it is about coming out of ourselves and this more than anything drives us into ourselves and there's a lot of negative side effects we don't really have time for it here but socially, relationally, there's the stuff comes out of this that affects you in ways you don't even realize. Well, and we haven't even gotten into the neurological side of it, of the way it can affect your brain, or the way I should say that it does affect, not can affect, the way that it does affect your brain, the way it you know rewires it and, and creates neurological pathways and can really set you up for struggles within marriage. Again, we, we haven't really touched on that yet, but you know, as far as creating expectations, creating... Um, you know, unfair expectations for your spouse that, as I think Joe's brought up before, can't be met 100% of the time. 
Um, and so it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous when, when you have those expectations, when you have those fantasies that you're continuing to indulge yourself in. And then, you know, your spouse comes along two or three years later. And again, you're set up for, for struggles. I'm not gonna say you're set up for failure, but you're set up to, to struggle quite a bit. Um, and, and this is why the, the communication channels, once again, I to keep beating the dead horse, but they have to stay open. Uh, you, you have to be willing to acknowledge the fact that yes, this is rewiring my brain. This is something that again, from the individual perspective, um, you get some help. And again, we're going to get into that a little bit later on as, as far as, or maybe in the think fast episode about the best methods, but, um, it, it's very dangerous. It, it, it's rewiring brains, you know, left and right. If anybody wants, uh, if, if they reach out and they would like my slides, um, I have an entire, uh, five part presentation, um, seminar on pornography. And I take a lot of, well, a lot of time to talk about the toll on the, spiritual, the emotional, the intellectual, uh, and, and the physical, of how porn and even masturbation really affects it. And to your point, Will, about the brain, and Jack, you had mentioned it, and I didn't get too much into the brain science. I have several slides specifically on that. It's very fascinating. We're not getting into any of the neurochemicals. We're not getting into CREB. We're not getting into Delta Fos B. We're not getting into... We, we briefly discussed dopamine, um, how it affects the prefrontal cortex and, and the... Um, logical part of the mind, how it kind of starts cutting off the logical part of the mind. It grows other aspects of the brain that are more impulsive. So yeah, there's so much that goes to this, but ultimately masturbation is lonely. It is it is an individualized version of something that was not intended to be individualized, in my opinion. A lot of people think that's what Jesus is talking about, and cutting your right hand off and throwing it from you in Matthew 5, along with taking out your right eye, right, uh, with what makes you lust. And a lot of people think that he's kind of tongue-in-cheek, so to speak, referencing masturbation. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, with the right hand being mentioned there. But at the same time, all I know is the principle there of don't lust is very much appropriate at this masturbation time. So, fellas, I want to kick this to you. We want to move through into, okay, we hear it's bad. It's not good. Statistically, it's horrible. Okay, we're not supposed to masturbate. Uh, you know, We're hearing all of these things. We also know we're supposed to teach our kids how to handle it and keep them from it. What methods do we use? What's the best way to combat uh, pornography temptation here? So we're talking maybe content filters. We're talking accountability partners. Jack, I'll, I'll throw it to you. What uh, would you say to the average guy who says, man, how do I keep my family safe? How do I keep myself safe on this? One thing is access. Um, I, you know, Married couples, this is something that's, that's kind of common uh, of you've got your phone, I've got mine, and man, if if your husband or if your wife is just really uh, kind of dodgy with their phone, kind of you know squirrely, never lets it out of their pocket, never lets it out of their possession. On the other, hand, I mean, like if your relationship is so bad that you need to be checking their phone three times a day, and all right, what, what you've been looking at, that's not a good thing. That there's a lot to address there. But if somebody is so overly guarded and protected of their phone, and the same goes for your kids. We spoke last time about uh, kids and smartphones and. Boy, we're not real high on the idea, but, you know, as a parent, that's your choice. If you made that choice, you need to have access to your kid's phone. You need to make sure that you have the passwords. You can turn things on and off. Uh, parental locks, uh, you know, take the time to learn the parental uh, parental controls on their phone, number one. Number two, um, software. Covenant Eyes, I think it's, what, $120 a year, Joe, you know, something like that. Something like that, yeah. um, 16 bucks a it's month. It's a great software. Uh, and, and you can put it across your devices. You know, they've got a tablet one, a phone one, you know, uh, iOS, Android, your computer, Mac, uh, or, or PC. Um, put that on there. 
make sure you know what's going on in your house. Make sure those reports are getting sent. Um, Hold your thought there real real quick, Jack. Yeah, go ahead. Let me speak to Covenant Eyes real fast before we move from that. Uh, To everybody listening... No, I don't. I'm not a paid spokesperson for Covenant Eyes, but I do think that it is uh, the best you can get. I'm aware of so many others. Canine protection. I mean, I run across these all the time. Um, please get Covenant Eyes. It has screen capture technology. If you throw a DVD in there, it will screen capture it. If you are, whether you're using Wi-Fi or not, it will continue to monitor and screen capture and send those screen captures to accountability partners. It also uses a VPN on its phones. Um, where it's much more difficult to get around. No backdoor apps. Oh, I just downloaded Chrome instead of Safari on my iPhone. It'll still track that as well. Um, it'll take screen captures. If you use their specific um, Covenant Eyes app, it will take screen captures on on iOS devices as well, and I think Android devices. So uh, there's multiple reasons to use it. Yes, it's expensive. Use it. You can go with Triple uh, X Watch, things like that. It's free. That's great. If you really want to get out of pornography, I would strongly, strongly recommend Covenant Eyes for those reasons. It is, in, in my opinion, way far ahead of any other thing that I have run across in terms of its functionality and what it can do. Sorry, Jack. Keep going. No, no, that's great. And there is a cost, you know, uh, it's 10, 12 bucks a month. This is your soul we're talking about. Your kids' souls, maybe. Your spouse's soul. Like, make this commitment. If you're, as Joe mentioned earlier, a lot of husbands and fathers have this, and so it's not like that they're going to you know, have parents that are over them putting the covenant eyes on, put covenant eyes on, have accountability partners, have somebody at church, an elder, a preacher, somebody you can confess to and send your emails to them so that they can check in so that they know. Um, Take these steps. As we talked about earlier, you're never going to block it off 100%. You're not going to make your house airtight against it, but there's no reason to leave these things just kind of sitting out there. And so softwares, parental controls, um, shared phone passwords, things like that, um, just so that, you, because one of the biggest things, and we'll talk about this in a bit, you you can't fight this by, battle on your own. If you're battling it, if your kid is battling it, this is not, uh, the, the worst thing we can do is go, I can do this, I can do this, because that's what everybody does. That's what the tens of millions of addicts, you know, the, those that are trying to get out of it, they're all saying, I can do it, I can do it. And they're not. You know, you, you need people around, and so um, using safeguards to set that up for yourself, for your kids, do what you got to do. Um, my answer as far as this question, you know, what are the best methods to combat the temptation of pornography? Jack and, and Joe, y'all both spoke very well about the softwares and the, um, again, kids having smartphones, probably not the best idea. I, I want to speak more so to, um, a different area here. And that is the fact that you cannot, or please don't be the person that does everything they can to ban the hardcore pornography, but allows the soft pornography into your home. By that I mean, if you're going to go to all the the great links of the of the Covenant Eyes and the filters and all these things, but you're going to allow your family or even yourself to watch Netflix shows or Hulu shows or whatever shows that basically have softcore pornography on there, you're not doing yourself a ton of good. Um, again, sometimes we we can think about pornography in the terms of again the, the hardcore stuff, the you know sleazy website stuff. There's soft pornography going on across all kinds of shows, movies, you know, you know, sex scenes in movies, sex scenes in shows. If you're going to be Mr. and Mrs. Hardcore about the, the um, again, the website stuff, the filter stuff, then you better do the exact same thing with, again, what your kids watch. If you're from an individual's perspective, what you watch, right? You know, if, if you're going to, to be somebody that says, I want to get out of this, and yet you're still watching some of the shows, the some of the movies that, that have basically this type of stuff in it, you're not doing yourself any favors. And so when it comes to, again, Beth methods to com- methods to combat this temptation, 
you got to go at it from all angles. You got to you got to attack it from every way that's entering your home, and it's not just sometimes the the websites that you shouldn't be on or the the you know apps that you shouldn't be on, the OnlyFans type of stuff. You can get it very easily through movies, through shows, and you've got to do your part again, whether you're an individual or whether you're a parent, to make sure that you're not allowing that into that you are just as diligent about not allowing that into your home as you are the other websites and, and things like that. So that's what I would have to add to kind of take a different angle on that. Joe, anything else to add to, to yeah, that? Yeah, that's such a valuable point, just to reiterate that. Like, yeah, I put Covenant Eyes on my kid's phone, so we're all good. And then we sit down and we watch Game of Thrones or we watch the right. Harley Quinn DC movie. Or, you know, we, we I allow my son to watch music videos on his phone through Apple Music, and I have no idea what he's watching. All I know is, you know, next thing you know, you see that he's a big fan of Lady, Lady Gaga or whatever else. Like... Parents, please be aware. We talked about this last week. Please be aware of what's going on. Well, that's such a, a valuable point of like, don't think that those things, again, go back to the main definition, anything that's sexually arousing, images that are intended to be sexually arousing, even the things in the mind, which is, is going to kind of go into my next point here, but the things in the mind that really capture the emotions like Fifty Shades of Grey. Great. You put content software on there and you you got to make sure that the computer is turned toward um, toward the open area where everybody can see it, but you read Fifty Shades of Grey. You allow your kid to read some, uh, you know, some really raunchy material. That's not as good either. Um, be aware of those things. Or, or like what we discussed with the last episode, you go to the beach in July, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you can't, here's the last thing I'll say to this uh, before we, we get into myths and look to wrap it up. If you are struggling with an addiction, pornography addiction, you realize, man, I, I cannot get around this. I have tried everything. I have taken online courses. I have read all the books. I have talked to people. It is not getting fixed. Um, I'm desperate to get this fixed. What do I do? I have been there. I did take 30-day programs um, online. I, I did read a ton of books. I was very well informed on these things. I had talked to people about it uh, sparingly, for sure, but it didn't seem to work. So what this comes down to, what, what's the best method to combat the temptation of pornography. If you really are addicted, and we're not talking once a month you get on there, that's more behavioral, put some things on your computer, make sure you avoid it. Um, understand what emotions are driving you to it. This is an emotional issue, not a behavioral one, if you have an actual addiction to it. Usually it's triggered by trauma, it's tr triggered by feelings of worthlessness, um, by all sorts of negative core beliefs of, if they knew the real me, they would reject me, right? They would hate me, so it's driven by shame. And we have a lot of trauma triggers that push us into this, a lot of emotional things. When I'm stressed, I run to porn. When I'm angry, I run to porn. When I'm feeling lonely, I run to porn. Uh, if that's the case with you and you're noticing some of these triggers, please get yourself some help. Um, seek out counseling. That's what I do. I specialize in sex addiction. I have a heart for this because that was me. Um, I, I, am, I was that addict for 10 years. So... I understand the struggle. Man, it is it is a life and death struggle, but please get yourself some counseling. Work through the emotional issues that are driving you to the addiction, all of the negative core beliefs that you're happen, uh, happening to, to fall into and to believe that's driving you there because otherwise, look, putting some accountability software on your computer is fantastic. That's not going to fix your emotional pain if there's trauma that's driving you to the addiction. I've worked with so many people that have been abused, sexually abused, raped, molested, um, that have been neglected by their parents, that have just had horrible relationships with their parents. A lot of times, if it's a father, or if it's a boy, a lot of times it's with the father, um, where my dad was just not there for me, and they run to pornography because, for multiple reasons, um, 
please, please, please get yourself some help. Don't think you're going to do this on your own. Uh, and there's no shame, just as there's no shame in coming out and, and mentioning this, that you have this and seeking help. There's no shame in getting therapy to fix this either. If you really want to get out of it, be willing to do whatever it takes, which may mean paying for therapy. It may mean seeking out somebody else's uh, professional opinion to help you through those things. But th those are for the addicted. If Again, if it's a one time a month, one time every couple months, I think the other things, the software. Um, the last point I'll make, and I think we're going to get in, this will transition into the next one, is we've talked a lot about can we do this alone? And so I'm going to kick off with kind of the first myth here, um, which is, well, I can just fix this on my own. No, you can't. We've already said that. You cannot fix this on your own. And because the, we call this an intimacy disorder. Porn addiction is an intimacy disorder. You you lack the ability to connect with other people. Shame pushes you where you don't want to connect to other people. Um, but this is not a, uh, it, man, if I just, we call it white knuckle change, right? If I squeeze my hand, squeeze my knuckles really, really hard and say, I'm never going to do this again. Uh, tried that, been there, done that. How, so has every one of my clients that come to see me. Uh, they've all tried those things and it doesn't work because it's an intimacy disorder. You have to learn to get connected with others, to work through your your emotional issues that keep you from connecting to others. So as far as it goes with accountability, please seek accountability. But accountability is not intended to be a slap on the wrist. Oh, I fell again. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, we'll be praying for you. Talk to you next week. That's not accountability. Uh, that's that's not really anything. Accountability is somebody who's there where you call them in the heat of the moment when you're really wanting it, or you call them after and they say, "Okay, man, what went wrong? How did you access? What were you feeling at the time? What triggers or what triggered you? What are we going to do to make sure that's not a trigger again?" That's accountability. Somebody who walks alongside you, and you know what that also is? It's intimacy. And we that that may not be a term we're comfortable with because we associate it with sex. But at the end of the day, that is intimacy. That is knowing and being known. That is vulnerability and authenticity. And they're doing that for you. They're allowing you to do that. And they're being that with you. So real accountability is somebody who doesn't just hold your feet to the fire and scold you every time you fall to where you're always in this shame cycle. It's somebody who walks alongside you and gives you what you're desperately needing, which is connection, unconditional love. Somebody that says, man, I see you at your worst and I love you. You're worthwhile. You're worthy of love. All of those things and really helps you there. So um, that's the way I'd answer that first myth, which is, you know, I, I can do this on my own. Please don't even try to do it. If you can, good for you. I still think you're missing out on, on what this is all about, which is really driving you more toward individuality, kind of the masturbation thing. This is, this is not an individual thing. It needs to be solved through connection. Fellas, what would you say to that? I know that's a, a long, um, long thing, but what would you add to that first myth? Well, to me, I, th I think it, it you can go into just about anything that you struggle with. There's a reason why Paul, or throughout the New Testament, you know, we see the commands, confess your sins one to another, bear each other's burdens. You're not really intended to face problems alone. You know, whether that be a pornography addiction, whether that be, a, you know, just a, a struggle with lust. Maybe you've never looked at pornography or, or you're, you don't, you know, touch it at all, but you struggle with lust. You know, maybe, you know, again, you struggle with, you struggle with gossip, you struggle with whatever it may be. You know, we... We're not called to run the Christian race alone, as we've discussed before. There are commands in Scripture, confess your sins one to another, bear each other's burdens. And so with, with any issue, Joe, you already said it very well, but with anything that you're struggling with, you know, you, you really were not intended to fight against it alone, just to, to bury it within and say, well, I'll just, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and figure out how to get through it. That's not really the way that God designed us. That's not really the way that God designed the church. Uh, and so that, of course, certainly plays in, you know, with the pornography and lust issues as well. Um, but I wanted to point that out because, again, just about any issue that you're going to face, you're going to struggle with, 
you need to have people that you can go to and talk to about it and communicate about it. Jack, do you have anything else? Well, this will go, I guess, with the next myth we're going to get into. We'll, we'll kind of merge these two. Uh, you're exactly right about confessing our sins to one another, and that's why the church has to do so much of a better job of getting this out there, because nobody is going to walk forward in front of 150 people on Sunday and say, I need right. prayers for my pornography addiction. Okay, Especially so when we, you consider that porn is kind of the taboo sin at this point, right? It, it is. It, it, it's, he struggles with what? He, oh, oh, wow. I, I would have never guessed him. You know, it's like, as we're about to look at statistically, you should. You shouldn't be surprised. But it's not everybody's business. That's not accountability either because if you tell the whole church and everyone says, we'll pray for you and there's nobody following up, that's not good either. And so what the church needs to do, number one, is talk about it more. Talk about it from the pulpit of, we expect this to be a problem, and so we're going to talk about it. We're gonna we're not going to hide from it. We're not going to say, "Well, this is something that only you know like weird people struggle with." No, this is something that right. the people here struggle with. In the same sense that we need to tell people here about gossip, and the same people uh, here about anger and about you know a- any other sin that we talk about. And so, number one, talk about it more from the pulpit, not just in passing. Have a sermon on it, or or bring it up. Number two. Put that accountability mechanism in place. Be like, you know what? We're going to talk about it from up here. We know you don't want to come down in front of everybody, but there's your elders or here's your minister or here's some other brothers who are involved. Call one of them. Take them out to lunch. Pull them aside and say, I need to talk about the problem. Like, make the avenue there for that because... Foster an atmosphere people, where that is available. Right. right. Like, like, show people the next step because you can tell somebody fighting it alone is not going to work. Okay, but literally the hardest thing you're ever going to do is tell somebody who you care about, somebody you respect, somebody in your church, you're an elder, a minister, whoever, to go up and say, man, I've got a pornography problem because especially if you don't know how they're going to react. If there's that chance that they're going to go, oh, no, you what? Oh, get away from me, you you know, unclean. Ted Bundy. Yeah, oh, you're just like Ted Bundy. You know, like if, if you're going to get that from somebody. And so you don't know. So create an atmosphere into where you say, you know what? This is a struggle that's all too common, more common than you think. We've got this where, you know, there's judgment in the sense we're not going to say it's right. We're going to tell you that it's wrong, but you already know that. But it's not going to be a condemnation. You know, we're here to help right. you through it rather than look in shock, look down on you or anything else. And so the, uh, to Will's point about bearing one another's burdens and, and confessing sins to one another, that needs to happen. And as the church, we need to help facilitate that to the best of our ability, which leads to this next myth, Joe. I'll, I'll tee you off for it. A lot of people think that as we talk about this, okay, but yeah, that's the world. This doesn't affect the church. In the church, we know that this is wrong, so we just don't do it. Not true. Go Get, get into why that, that is one of Absolutely. the mi- biggest mistakes we make. Absolutely. Um, let me throw on, I meant to say this right at the end. As far as accountability partner goes, if you have been chosen as an accountability partner, somebody comes to you, this is the last thing I'll say about it. And and I am guilty of this as well. I, I feel horrible sometimes at the way I do this. Uh, it is a struggle to remember. Please set yourself some alarms to reach out to your guys and say, hey man, how's it going? Because it's so easy to get going and then let a month go by and then be like, I'm so sorry, man, I forgot. Um, I recently did that with somebody, so that happens, and I feel horrible about it, and don't do that. Don't be like me. Um, Please set the alarms, reach out regularly, and let them know that, man, you care about them, you care about their sin. Let me get into some statistics here. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women watch porn at least once a month. This is all self-reporting, by the way. Um, Of young Christian males age 18 to 24, 76% regularly seek out porn. Over three and four. Yeah. One of the most comprehensive studies done in Christendom, uh, which again is is not Church of Christ, but Church of Christ is woefully lacking on 
getting, getting accurate statistics on things like this. Um, but it was a 2014 study done by Barna, which was also um, paid for, I think, with Covenant Eyes. Uh, they they kind of did the study together, found that 55% of Christian married men admit, admit to viewing porn at least once a month. Um, of those claiming to be born again, 54% of young Christian males age 18 to 30 uh, looked at porn monthly and 14% for women. But of those that were kind of a loose term, loose Christianity, uh, 77% of men. 18 to 30 looked at porn and 36% for women. Uh, a lot of informal surveys find that number to be around 50. If I was going to guess, uh, personally, I think that the number is somewhere around two out of every three. I think it's 65-ish percent. Um, and the minister number is, is incredibly high as well. 51% of members, pastors but, say internet yeah. pornography is a possible temptation. Um, and 59% of pastors say that, that married men seek their help for porn use. So 7% of Christian women view porn weekly. That's trending upward. I, it would not surprise me if that number has risen to about 10%. One in 10 are viewing it weekly of women. Here's the shocking number, though. Here's, here's the thing, and this is what Barna found. 93% of pastors see porn as an increasing problem in the church. You guys want to guess how much, what, what the percentage is for how many have a plan to deal with it? Seven. Wow. 7% have a plan to deal with it. 93% say, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a problem. It's getting worse. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? I have no idea. 7% do. So this speaks to the problem of like we don't realize how prevalent this is in our church. Uh, we almost track perfectly with the culture. Yes, the culture does a little bit more, of course. Um, and the well, lowest uh, statistic... hold on. We just we just threw a lot of stats at people. Just contextualize it. What that tells you is if you have a church of more than six people, it is a virtual guarantee that somebody there struggles with it. And even if you have a church of six people, there's a real good chance that somebody does. But right. a church of any size whatsoever, not one, multiple people struggle. If you're a church that's in the hundreds of attendance, dozens of people have this struggle. Uh, every young boy in your youth, youth group potentially could struggle with this. A third of the girls in your youth group could potentially struggle with it. I mean, like let's put like real names and faces on this look around you and, and not in an accusative way well maybe it's him maybe it's her no but just realize this struggle is this is this it's home this matters to us this is in this room with us and we got to do something about it so let's say conservatively let's take the conservative statistic of 50 percent. again this is self-reporting that's why the, the for those that are curious if you ever look up oh porn addiction is only at five to seven percent there's no such thing as porn addiction in the dsm i've talked about this before i think the dsm is is um, ridiculous that that's not in there, but when you see five to seven percent of addiction statistics, those are people saying, "Yes, I'm absolutely addicted." Uh, self-reporting addiction. All of these numbers take into account self-reporting that there's going to be a lot of people, in my opinion, and in Christendom, that aren't going to necessarily tell the full truth about it. That personally, so I think the fifty percent is very low, especially with the guys that I. This is what I do, and I run across this a lot. And so, yes, you have a church of two hundred members. Let's just split it 50 50, 100, 100 men. Statistically, on the lower end, 50% of men, a quarter of your church is struggling with pornography. Throw in the women's side of it, which I think is probably upwards of 10%. Um, again, anywhere up to 33% for the younger age, definitely up to that side. Um, but let's just say 10% of the 100, so another 10. So you got 60 people out of a 200 member congregation struggling with porn, and that's once a month. That's not occasionally, that's, that's at least once a month, and even up to once a week. That's a lot. Uh, if, if you had 60% of people in your church that you knew struggled with any other sin, do you think we'd be silent on that? Right. Do you think we'd have 7% of preachers and, and pastors who have an idea of how to handle it? Or do you think we'd go, this is a really big problem. We probably need to do something about this. 
I want to merge this with another myth because we're, we're running short on time, but these go together really well, is how many people say, not my kid. Oh, it's not my house. I've got a good kid. Yeah, you have a good kid. Because you're accepting that framing that anyone who struggles with this is a monster. Rather than thinking of them as a human being, human beings, especially male human beings, have sexual urges. They have a culture that is pushing sexual urge material right in front of their faces all the time, addicting them, pulling them in, you know, their friends, their their phones, their, all these opportunities they have, and all these Christian parents, oh, no, no, not my kid. My kid is a good kid. They wouldn't do that. They're human. And so, number one, stop looking at, at people who fall for this as, as less than human. Number two, realize your own kids are human and are going to need help with this as well because that's something I know you have run into a lot, and I've heard the same thing. Oh, not no, we don't have to worry about that. You know, we, we talked right. to them. We told them, that, you know, or, or even we told them if they ever look at it, we're going to kill them. Like, oh, that helps. So if they ever struggle, yeah. they, they know not to confess Definitely to you. Definitely not coming to you. And so, yeah, exactly. And so realize this is a very human problem and your children are human too. Essentially what you're saying is stop burying your head in the sand about it. You know, whether you're a parent, you know, and Joe, that stat that you read about 7% of, and obviously that is, you know, not Church of Christ, that's, you know, other denominations, but still the fact that 7% of the of the uh, ministers or pastors or whatever word we want to use don't really have a plan to deal with it is alarming, especially when you consider the stats we started with, which is how many people struggle with it and how accessible it is. And so just to sound, elaborate. Sorry, not to cut you off. Yeah, this may ahead. sound mean. You talk about Church of Christ, it's lower in the Church of Christ. Yeah, I can I almost guarantee you it's lower because in Christendom is where you find all of the resources right. for this. How many how many Church of Christ books have you read on pornography? Crickets. Zero, yeah. Crickets, which is why I'm working on one right now. Just plug myself for a second or, or plug my <laughs> book. Um, but, sorry, I'll, I'll let you keep talking. Well, I was just going to say real quick, to, to elaborate more on Jack's point, just stop burying your head in the sand, whether you're a parent, whether you're a minister or an elder, especially if you're an elder who is still living in the 70s and 80s as far as you don't understand truly how accessible it is and how big of a problem it is. You know, your, you know, not to call elders out here, but your role as a shepherd, your role as an elder, you know, watching over the spiritual health of your flock is to develop a plan for this, is to develop a a strategy, is to develop a, you know, here's how we're going to address it. Here's how we're going to help those who are already struggling. That falls on you. If you're a minister, if you're a preacher, that falls on you to, to address these issues and not to address them in a, you know, you know, we'll just stop type of way or just get over it type of way. But in a practical terms of, of this is how we can handle this type of stuff. And if you're not doing that, you know, again, not to throw you under the bus, but shame on you. You should be doing that. And again, just for, with Jack's point on the parent thing, not my kid, typically the people that say, well, not my, not my kid, my kid would never struggle with that. Newsflash, their kids probably are struggling with that. Yeah. You know, the ones that are they're very quick to say, well, that's other people's kids. Those aren't my kids your kid probably is struggling with it. So don't be that person. Educate yourself. You know, if this is all news to you, like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was this bad. Maybe you should start reading some books. Maybe you should start doing some research and, and you know, learning some things about truly how, how dangerous it is. But sorry to Joe, you can keep going. I just no, wanted to elaborate there on Jack's point. Um, it's the same people. Well, it's not my school, right? For right. school. Yes, your school. Okay, please, people wake up. All right, these things are real problems. Um, this Yes, your school. Yes, your kid. And that's what I always told them. Not my kid. Yes, your kid. Like I've worked with so many that's like the parents are just absolutely shocked and you start digging into it and it's like, holy smokes, no wonder why you struggle with this issue. Like, how could you not? So your kid has emotional struggles. Your kid has, has he's human, Jack, to your point. I want to hit the last two though here. One of the things we run into with spouses, one of the things we talk about is the, the three different discoveries. Discovery one, the wife is usually just shocked. She's sad. 
she's just very, uh, very much in shock. You know how I'm really saddened by this that you would do this, that you would choose this. Discovery number two, they find it again. Now I'm angry. You told me you would never look at this again. What's wrong with you? How could you do this to me? How could you lie to me? You told me that this wasn't a problem, that it wouldn't be a problem. Um, by the time they discover the third time, we're talking PTSD, and it's when's the shoe going to drop? When's the next shoe going to drop? Right? When am I going to find it again on his phone? How much? How many more times is he going to lie to me? And so. Yes, there are strong PTSD responses to this that a lot of spouses don't understand, that the wife is living in a constant heightened state, uh, we call it vigilance, right, of hyper aware of everything around her, of what her husband might be doing, constantly checking his phone, constantly checking the internet. That's PTSD response. It's it's like a kid that gets in a car wreck and constantly looks over his shoulder because he's scared that there might be a car wreck again. It's vigilance, hyper vigilance is what we call it. Um, so for the spouses, it is not, uh, this is the myth, is I, my, my spouse looks at porn or my husband watches porn because I'm not attractive enough. That is not true. He looks at porn because he's got his own emotional issues that he's running to porn for. It has nothing to do with attraction to you. This is why when your husband says, I find you so beautiful, you go, how could it possibly be? You're looking at these women on the internet. He's looking at them to fulfill his own emotional needs, not because of, of their attraction and your lack of attraction, but because... He has found that that's where he runs to when he's stressed or when he's angry or when he's triggered by his trauma, when he's feeling useless, when he's feeling worthless, when he's feeling low self-esteem, all of those things. Okay, um, It is not because you are not attractive enough. And fellas, just to wrap up, uh, I think we're going to move out of that unless you have anything to add to that. Um, to this last myth, which is I'm not worthy of love as a porn addict. The reason I want to throw this on there, the guys asked me, you know, what myths and this is something I work in. And again, I have my presentation on this and, and I, we talk about a lot of myths. I thought about leaving this one off, but I said, you know, this is really at the heart of it. I think this is why I wanted this to kind of wrap everything. This is at the heart of porn addiction. I'm not worthy of love as a porn addict. Shame, the shame cycle. It's, I look at porn, so I feel horrible about myself. When I feel guilty, I feel shame, which is guilt is, you know, I'm not a good person. Shame is, or, or guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I'm a bad person, right? So we look at porn, we feel guilt, it turns into shame, and then we say, man, I really need something to come out of it. I need to feel better about this and so we run back to porn right we stay in the shame cycle and grace is what breaks this recognizing that we are worthy of love that christ he's what made us worthy of of love not something that we do ourselves he's the one that said man i love you while we were yet sinners christ died for us he showed that we had he loved us when in my opinion we're not worthy of it but he says you are worthy of my love i i make that decision not you um and that's what helps us break free from this, what helps us break free from, from the shame cycle and from pornography is getting out of this thinking of, man, I've just done too much. I'm too, I'm too sinful. It's, there's too much shame attached to this. Christ died for that too. And so I'll say this before I kick it out, and I'm, I'm going to wrap here. One of the questions, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, one of the questions that I always ask my porn addicts, when does Jesus, when does God love you more? When you're looking at porn or when you're worshiping him in church? And man, I get so many wrong answers well, when I'm, when I'm at church, and that's not true. He loves you the same. In, in both situations, he loves you to the maximum. Now, he may be disappointed you're looking at porn, no doubt. There's, there's the holiness of God. There's the wrath of God on sin. But overall, I think he looks at you and he says, man, I'm sorry that Satan duped you into thinking that's what you need because what you need is me. And so we have to stop looking at God as, man, he's about to zap me if I look again. We have to say, he's offered grace for this. He's loved me through my entire addiction and at my very worst, he loves me. And that is something that we can build on as a foundation for an addict. Fellas, I'll let right. you take it and, out. And that's something that at the end of the day, 
can go great lengths to pulling somebody out of this temptation or out of this addiction, I should say, is, is understanding that, you know, God's love, the love of God, the grace of God, you know, once you look at porn, it, it doesn't disappear, right? It doesn't go away in the sense that he's, it's not a conditional love, a conditional grace. Well, as long as you don't look at porn, then I'm going to love you, right? As long as you don't look at porn, then I'm going to offer this grace. That's not true. Um, obviously, as we've discussed, porn is dangerous. Porn is, is a sin. It's an abomination to God. It's something that we should be taking strides if we struggle with it to try to avoid and try to, to overcome and then all these things that we talked about, but it doesn't negate the love of God. It doesn't, you know, again, don't, don't ever think that, well, I'm, I'm just, I've committed the ultimate sin again. It's because we view it as the taboo sin, right? We, we don't want to talk about it because, you know, we're, we're looked at and, or, you know, people are looked at in, in such a, I don't, I don't know, a taboo type of way again. And so that, that's not to just completely echo everything that Joe said. I'll kick it to Jack here. But with any issue, with any struggle, um, there is no amount of, of sin that you've committed that God's going to look at and say, all right, well, you know what? I've had enough. He, he's, he or she's out of options here. He or she is, uh, you know, my love meter is used up. I don't have any more love for that individual. Um, and, you know, that goes for, for people as well. So, Jack, what do you have to, to add to that? I think a, a brief overview of the prodigal son says it all. Number one, the prodigal son gave up all of his pride. I'll go home as a slave. I'll be the least man in the house. If he were worried about preserving his self-image, he never would have gone back. It was when he had hit rock bottom. And, and I think the pride has to get out of the way. You know, you say, well, I'm not worthy of love, or what are people going to think? Or You can't control what people think. You, you have to get to the point where being right with God and being in your father's house matters more to you than re- retaining your status. Uh, if he had thought, man, what is my brother going to say? It never would have. He never would have gone home because, of course, his brother wanted to kick him out. His brother didn't want him back. Why are we rejoicing over this sinner? You know, and so you can't think about well, if other Christians hear, what's going to go on? And so realizing your father wants you back. Your father doesn't want you back crawling in as the lowest slave. He's going to bring you back as a full son. He's going to bring you back with with the full love. He's going to run and embrace you. And so worry about that. That's what you need more than anything else. But if you're trying to hold on to your pride, if you're trying to walk in and, and you know, uh, I well, I still want to be well thought of, don't worry about that. Worry about the father loving you. If he loves you, you got it. You got it taken care of. And so, don't worry about controlling your self-image. Don't worry about who hears and who might do the. Oh, I can't believe he struggles with that. Don't worry about the older brothers who are going to look down and say, "Why are we celebrating this guy? He's he's a messed up pervert." Don't worry about that. Worry about the father's response. The other thing I'm going to say, and this is one that that has kind of been. We know pornography is bad. Everyone knows that's bad. As Will talked about earlier, okay, but you can say, well, I'm not watching porn. I'm not pulling up those websites, but you're watching movies you shouldn't watch. You're watching TV shows you shouldn't watch. Then maybe you go, man, I shouldn't be watching these things. You shouldn't do these things. But then you go to Walmart and, and you're checking out all the legs, all the, the you know the body parts, of people walking by, not wearing enough clothing. And, and it's easier to think that one's okay because it's just everywhere. It's all around you. It's not just not doing something. It's running to be a man of virtue. It's running to be a Job who will who says, I you know I will not look up upon a virgin. Uh, David says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Um, Joseph, you know, how can I sin against the Lord in this way? This is the right thing, and so determine to to develop a positive ideology of, of sex, of lust, of, of all these things we've talked about, rather than just, I'm not going to look at porn. Because you can say, I'm not looking at porn and leave a wide field of sin and say, well, I'm still doing okay. No, strive for virtue, strive for honor, strive for godliness here. And and man, you just start to see the ugliness of the other side. Run towards them, not away. Uh, yeah, we say that all the time. Uh, it, it, it's way better motivation. 
it's it's really as long as you're running away, you'll never outrun something. You're you're just right. going to get tired, and then you're going to fall. So run towards something. That's a great great way to say it. All right, with that, fellas, any last thing that you want to add? I don't think so. All right, I think again, remember to check out the Think Fast. We're going to get to the practicals. We're going to get to the, what discussions to have with your, your child or if you're struggling with yourself, the words to say, the things like that, things to look out for on your phone, all that. We're, we're going to get into that more on Think Fast. So be sure to check that out if, if you want more information on all of this. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack. And with that, uh, we will wrap it up. Thank you.